many women over the last several decades have been told by their, their practitioners that hormone replacement is dangerous. So we have decades of women going through menopause without hormone replacement for estrogen. So in women that might be menopausal, restoring balance or physiological levels, appropriate levels of DHEA and testosterone can actually help that rebuilding side of the body turn on because it helps you build muscle mass, it helps you then build bone mass. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below. It's a little red button, you punch that, and it's gonna notify you every time we put out a new episode that can help you improve your bone health. And then also, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com, sign up for the free seven-day osteoporosis kickstart. That's gonna walk you through everything you need to be doing right now to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. After you do those two things, go ahead and press play on this episode, and I'll see you inside. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to help explore hormones and gut health in greater depth is Betty Murray. Betty is a PhD candidate, a master of nutrition, certified nutritionist, and is a functional medicine practitioner. Betty's interest in nutrition and func functional medicine came from her own health struggles. In her early 30s, she was diagnosed with colitis, and she knew there was so much more she wanted to do to, to get to the root of her disease. And her tenacity led her to a 20-plus uh, edu year educational journey that included immersion into the world of nutrition, biochemistry, functional medicine, and that has become the backbone of her approach to restoring health. As I mentioned, she's a certified functional medicine practitioner. She's got two masters uh, in, in nutrition and biochemistry and functional nutrition, and she is a PhD candidate researching the complex interactions of women's sex hormones and IBS. She's also a member of the American Nutrition Association and the founder and CEO of Living Well Dallas Functional Medicine Center. And that's a premier integrative multi-specialty functional med medicine practice where she leads a team of medical doctors, nutritionists, coaches, and is really bringing her vision to life to helping women restore their health. So thousands of women uh, take back their health, transform their lives, and she's frequently a uh, sought-out speaker in many places. And Betty is also a member of the Bone Coach team. And I don't know how she does it all, but she does it exceptionally well. And I'm super excited to have you here. Betty, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to be here. Good. I'm glad you could be here too. Um, so what I'd like to first start, start with, just especially because your background is in uh, you know, functional nutrition, you understand the interaction between hormones and things like that. Uh, for some women, estrogen replacement may not be an option for them. What are the reasons hormone therapy may not be the right fit for someone and what are the options they have to help minimize bone loss and stimulate bone formation if that is the case? Right. So, so for women, obviously estrogen plays a significant role in actually protecting the bones from bone loss. So as women enter into the years preceding menopause, so menopause, just to get this clear, most women think of menopause as this time period where all their symptoms start to show up. But menopause is really a single day in a woman's life which is one day, 365 days from the last time you had a period. And that's the day that the hormones stop, right? So prior to that is a, a period of perimenopause, which averages eight years in people, but some people have two decades and some people may have five or 10 years where the hormones are wildly changing. And particularly we see the loss of one hormone called progesterone, which is a counterbalance hormone to our three estrogens. And that's why we see fertility issues in women as they enter their 40s, because progesterone is already declining. 
Well, what the research shows is that the acceleration of bone loss really occurs when that estrogen is fluctuating wildly towards the end of perimenopause before you've actually hit menopause, right? So we know estrogen is protective, protective to the bone. It's wildly fluctuating, but when we're in perimenopause and we might be having sleep issues, weight gain, mood swings, all those other things. And we see that acceleration of bone loss at the same time. Many women over the last several decades have been told by their, their practitioners, their medical um, practitioners, that hormone replacement is dangerous and that they should not replace hormones and that they need to just suck it up and go through menopause and, oh, if you're feeling bad, we'll give you an antidepressant because it's really a depression problem, not a hormone problem. And that was based on flawed research coming out of the Women's Health Study, which we should not be ever talking about. It should be retracted and never spoken of again because it was so poorly done. That's a whole nother conversation for another podcast if you want to go into it. So we have decades of women going through menopause without hormone replacement for estrogen. The thing with estrogen is, is all of our hormones have receptors on the cells for them to work. So think of it, my hormone is a key. I have a keyhole and a lock on the cell and the hormone's gonna click in and turn it on. So as women over our lifetime, those estrogen levels fluctuating means we have a lot of keyholes on a bunch of cells that need estrogen. And so we have those estrogen receptors in our brain, in our bone, in our hearts, everywhere. And when you go through menopause and you don't replace that estrogen that you've now lost, those receptors are kind of like flowers. They start to dry up and they fall off. So if I'm a woman who went through menopause 10 years ago and I never had any hormone replacement to support estrogen, I have lost those receptors. So the idea of intervening, you know, at somebody like, let's say 60, 65, where they're 10 years out, I'm not going to have the same effect. And when we, what we do see is when you load somebody with estrogen and they don't have those receptors at work, we increase those risks potentially of estrogen sensitive cancers, not because estrogen is carcinogenic. It's actually opposite of that. It's because the receptors in the body doesn't really work well anymore because the function of it is now impaired. So many women have the reduction of bone mass and they have the loss of estrogen and all the things that go with it. So if I'm 10 years out, I may not have the ability to put estrogen in and get a positive metabolic effect. However, the important thing to know is there are hormones that are above estrogen in the production. So what I mean is, is we have hormones that are made off of other hormones. So we have our, what they call anabolic hormones, which are the hormones that tell your body to grow and rebuild. The first one is DHEA and the second one is testosterone. There's other friends that are involved, but those are the primary ones. DHEA's job is to counterbalance and to restore, rest and restore when we've had stress, which is cortisol. So DHEA levels fluctuate relative to our stress levels and they help counterbalance cortisol. So if my cortisol has been high, my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, because I live a very Western lifestyle where it's a badge of honor to be stressed out, right? I'm going to, I'm going to have a lot of cortisol. I'm going to hopefully have DHEA that can come up and sort of balance it like a seesaw. But if I don't, I won't have a lot of DHEA. So I won't get a lot of rest and restore. 
DHEA, rest and restore, is also a building hormone. It's it and testosterone are your strong male-ish hormones that help us build muscle, which muscle helps us build mass, which helps us build bone. And so as women, we make DHEA and testosterone at much lower levels than men. But of course, we suffer osteoporosis at much greater levels than men because we aren't as stimulated to grow. So in women that might be menopausal, restoring balance or physiological levels, appropriate levels of DHEA and testosterone can actually help that rebuilding side of the body turn on because it helps you build muscle mass. It helps you then build bone mass. And there is some research out there showing that restoring DHEA levels and testosterone levels can slow the breakdown of bone breakdown in an osteoporotic woman that is beyond estrogen replacement that is losing bone. So it, it doesn't mean that you can't do something positive, non-drug related, I'm speaking non-drug related because there are some drugs out there that manipulate the estrogen pathway, but you can do other things to help restore balance. And, you know, obviously we know that there's that decrease in estrogen post-menopause, uh, but in terms of, we're talking about DHEA and testosterone, post-menopause, what are the levels of those hormones typically at? And then if we're, you know, using something to help boost that, what is the optimal level? And obviously we're not providing medical advice here, but what, what could be the optimal level for someone? Right. So, so if, if estrogens are made from our androgens, so think about it, it's like, I have, I have a, um, I have a mountaintop and on the mountaintop, I have an ice cap. And on that ice cap, I have some rivers that go down to make the, the next stream and then puddle of water. I may have a big river on one side and I might have a tiny trickling stream on the other. So depending on our genetics, we might have a river on one side and a, a, a trickle on the other that may determine how much estrogen I make from testosterone or how much you know I make from its other best friend, androstenedione. So some of us genetically might be a little better at this, but from that ice cap, I'm going to make my estrogens. So if we kind of extrapolate out, what do you think happens when we go through osteoporosis? What is declining first? So most of us already had declining levels of DHEA and testosterone before we went through menopause, right? So the levels are often extremely low. If you test blood or urine or even saliva levels of women, DHEA and testosterone are going to be very low. Depending on what lab you look at, the reference ranges will shift a little bit, but relative to men, I would say it depends on the lab, the lab that we use, the normal levels in a woman um, in your sort of perimenopause, menopausal range is going to be somewhere between four and 42, right? Most women are at that four level. Some are like non-existent. It will say non-detectable. So that means that we have very little stimulus to that rebuild function. And DHEA, depending on your, on your stress level, there's a huge range of what we see. So in our lab, it's 35 to 355, right? So that's a huge range. I don't want to be on the 35 range, which means I don't have a lot on that other side of my teeter-totter to help my stress level. So I want to be on the higher side because that means my body's getting a bunch of rest and restore messages, rebuild. So in most cases, women who are menopausal have low levels of DHEA and low levels of testosterone relative to their age group 
that comparatively to maybe 20, 30, 40 years old, it's going to be even lower. The good thing is, is those can also be restored, right? You can take, you can take supplemental DHEA in the United States. It's actually over the counter and you don't have to take a lot of it. Testosterone therapy is medical therapy and it's done in a bioidentical way, but you can take testosterone therapy. So the other thing you want to remember is if I'm taking those hormones, remember that ice cap and the stream, where do you think it goes? You're going to get some subsequent increase in estradiol, not a huge amount, but there will be a little bit of conversion of testosterone down to estradiol that can be supportive, but it's not going to be like you were doing estrogen replacement right? It isn't going to be to those levels. So you can influence that entire pathway by supporting just DHEA and testosterone. And a lot of times people think it's all estrogen, 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 and, and that's the main focus. And I'm so glad that you're talking about, you know, there are other hormones involved in this process. And, and uh, I'm glad we're walking through that now. So what, one of the things that I know you, you currently research is the complex interaction of women's sex hormones and IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome. How does gut health affect our hormone levels? Right, right. So I want to back up and say one thing about the hormones too. So you, you touched on this. So the other thing is, is if somebody's replacing hormones, you have to balance them all. You have to look at progesterone, testosterone, estrogens, because they play together. They're a symphony. And so you can't just have uh, a percussion drummer out there on the stage alone and have a symphonic sound. So it's important to have all of those looked at, right? So that would be the other side of it. So let's go on to gut health. So in our gut, we have four to seven pounds of bacteria. The average person has about four pounds of bacteria. And in there, we have trillions of trillions of bacterial cells. We actually have more bacterial cells in our body than we do human. And in our body, those bacteria actually help us metabolize things. They help us make things like B vitamins. They help us detoxify things. In fact, many of our drugs actually have their therapeutic effect because the microbiome actually metabolize them first. And it's their byproduct that has the key, the therapeutic effect. Several chemotherapy drugs work that way. So our microbes have actually more control probably over our body than we have over our body. And it's a fairly new body of research. Um, once we did the human genome project, where we were able to actually map the human genome, we basically were able to take that same genetic mapping technique and look at the bugs in our gut, because most of them don't survive if they get exposed to oxygen. So you can't like pull them out and look at them because they die. And so now 80% of the microbes we were unable to see until we could do genetics are now visible. Now, these microbes make a bunch of byproducts, and those byproducts can influence other things. So my research is looking at that intersection between estrogen in women and a microbial byproduct called beta-glucuronidase, and the interaction in IBS, particularly in women that are premenopausal. So when you look at IBS statistics, IBS is at a greater prevalence, more than depending on what researcher you look at, almost 14 to one compared to males. So we have a much higher prevalence of IBS. It's worse in cycling women. It's worse around our periods in the weeks leading up to it, depending on what the hormones are doing. And it goes away or it tends to calm down, not completely in everybody, in women who are on the opposite side of menopause. 
So my curious nature was what's going on in the microbiome and where's that interaction? Because obviously our sex hormones are playing a role. So estrogen that we make, whether it's the estrogen we make, the estrogen we take if we're on hormone replacement or the other things in our environment that, that look like estrogen to the body. So pesticides, herbicides, phthalates, plasticizers, or pretty much any toxin in our environment has an estrogenic effect. Our body takes those in or makes them. We use them. And if they're the right ones, we use them appropriately in the body. And then when we're done with them, so think it's kind of like a marker and the marker is used up. Maybe it's leaking a little bit. We no longer need to use it anymore. We're going to throw it away. We have to take it to the liver so the liver can wrap it up in a bunch of wrappers to throw it away. That process is genetically different in everybody. But once we've wrapped it in some wrappers, one of the trash cans that we throw it in is a, is a process called glucuronidation. So think of it as an office trash can that I'm going to throw all that old estrogen in and I'm going to drag it out to the curb to take it to the trash. Well, in this case, the trash is fecal matter. The estrogens leave the liver once it's all wrapped up in the bile, gets bound to fiber in your diet and in the feces, and it has to go out. And that's the exit route. That's the, the garbage men picking it up and taking it away from your front porch. When we have that trash can created by glucuronidation, we have the ability from the microbes to make a byproduct called beta-glucuronidase that basically takes that trash can, dumps it out into the, into the stool, and allows all of those estrogens to get recirculated back through the body. So old used up marker estrogen, old, old toxins, all of that stuff gets recirculated. So what that means is your bacteria are making this byproduct. Okay, I'm going to be really crass here, but here's a good way to think of it. It is bacteria poop in your poop that is making all your estrogens you were trying to throw out, get recirculated back through the liver, back into your bloodstream. That action and beta-glucuronidase made by your bacteria is associated with colon cancer risk, breast cancer risk, ovarian cancer risk, and overall toxicity. So it has an impact, the excess estrogen has an impact. And so in IBS, I think it may have an impact on the experience we have because it seems to be worse when we're cycling. So here's the other thing. So what, what could possibly be happening with maybe even in a menopausal woman or a premenopausal woman whose estrogen levels are cycling wildly or whose estrogen levels are declining, are the microbiome possibly playing a role in osteoporosis and osteopenia? Nobody has really looked at it. We're just starting to look at what the microbiome is doing. But the, the take home message for everybody is estrogen is only valuable when it's the right estrogen in the right place, doing the right thing. I've got the right key in the right lock and it's still working. And when I'm done with that key and I pulled it out of the lock, I need to get it to the trash can. I need to wrap it up. And that trash can needs to make it all the way to the end of the driveway and to the garbage collector. At any given time, if it's not doing that, it's going to end up back in the body and interfering with the normal function of your good estrogen. And that that is problem, problematic. And it's probably problematic in a lot of particularly women-centric diseases that we deal with, either premenopausal or postmenopausal. Wow, that's that's absolutely amazing. And when people go get a, you know, like a functional stool test or something like that, there are markers for that that can help 
be an indicator of what's taking place in that area, right? Exactly. So the, the thing is, is if you go to a traditional physician, they're not going to look, they're not looking for these things. I mean, we're generally Western medicine's not proactive. We're reactive. We identify it after the disease has occurred, but stool testing is going to tell you, number one, what bugs are in your gut? Who's in there? Think of it as Noah's Ark. We should have a little bit of everybody on the boat. And if I have cockroaches and snakes that have overgrown, that are overproducing something that may affect my estrogen or other things, I've got a gut that's out of balance. So if I've been on antibiotics, if I wasn't breastfed, if I wasn't vaginally delivered, all of these things that have happened over our lifetime affect those bugs and who's on that boat. And then, and then what they make affects us. So stool tests tell us who's in there. They tell us if we can functionally digest. So that's another huge, huge can of worms. Are you getting the nutrients you're actually consuming, which require digestion? And can you assimilate them? Because those bugs can intervene with that too. So can I break it down and can I get it into my body and get it functional? And then the stool test also shows levels of beta-glucuronidase. And is it too high, you know, or is it too low? We can see those things. And so we can actually modulate what you're eating, what you're taking to try and change that microbiome and the action so we can actually improve the whole function of the digestive tract, but actually help you get the nutrients you think you're eating. That's great. Yeah. So because if, if we don't have good gut health, obviously that's going to affect our ability to absorb nutrients. Um, but, and we're, we're talking about, you know, stool testing here for just a second, but why is it not always the case that when someone goes to get blood work from through their doctor, it's not always telling of nutrient sufficiency Yeah, it's within the normal, the normal range. Right. But in fact, there may be a functional deficiency present. So how do you know this? How do you tell? Yeah. So the way to think about it is when you're getting blood work from your doctor, they're looking at serum levels. And if they're being really, really out there, they might look at red blood cell levels of things. Like let's use magnesium as an example. Serum levels of magnesium make up about 7% of the need or the total amount of magnesium in the body. So if your doctor does a blood draw and they look at serum levels, they're identifying only if you have about 7% of what you need, right? So think of it as I'm, I have a cell, so I have a cell and inside the cell is where we make and do everything. And serum is what's available outside the cell, hopefully to make it in there. Every single nutrient has a door on that cell that needs to open and let them in. And there's doormen. So there's, there's genetics that affect if I have a door or a doorman or how many of them. And there's other nutrients and other toxins and other things that may block the door, you know, like a fire block. So you can't get the door open. So what's important is to know, can I get it across the, the cell wall? Is there anything impeding that? And is it acting inside the cell? So there's other testing that shows the intracellular, so the inside the cell level of available nutrients either through looking at it in lymphocytes, which are white blood cells to tell us, you know, here's, here's a sufficient amount or through organic acids, which show the chemical byproducts of interactions of these ingredients, whether it's a vitamin, a mineral, or, you know, phytonutrient and whether we are, we have enough at that interaction for it to work. So we can actually get a much closer idea of, Hey, I've got it outside the cell. I've got it inside the cell. And it's actually acting in a chemical reaction to make the body operate properly. Because the truth is for anybody to get any disease state at all, 
You must have failure at the cell first. It goes cell breakdown, tissue breakdown, organ breakdown, body breakdown. You know, so the cell is where it's at. And bones are an endocrine organ, right? So, so, and I always, you know, I always tell people too, you're touching on this right now. We're talking about if you're not getting the right nutrients in the right amounts, that's kind of the first level. If you're not actually able to absorb those nutrients, that's the second level. The third level is, is it actually making it to the cell level? And uh, you've touched on some really important things here. Betty, I, uh, I know this was a more compressed episode that you and I have done, but I, w- I would love to have you back on again in the future to, uh, to do this again, to share with our audience. You are absolutely an amazing resource. Um, I've, it's been amazing working with you too, you know, on the Bone Coach team. And where can people find you also? So you can find me at BettyMurray.com. It's real easy to find me there. And it's M-U-R-R-A-Y. It's the last name, Betty, B-E-T-T-Y. And I look forward to seeing you on the site. And- Awesome. That'd be great. Good stuff. I'll leave that too in the show notes. And uh, Betty, thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate you. And, uh, and thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com forward slash functional medicine dash Betty dash Murray. Um, other than that, thanks so much for tuning in. If you like this episode, like subscribe, uh, leave a rating or review lets us know that you enjoyed the content and uh, we'll see you again in the next episode. Hey, it's bone coach, Kevin Ellis. Hope you found that episode helpful and that you enjoyed it. Just one last reminder. If you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com, sign up for your free seven day osteoporosis kickstart. It's going to tell you everything you need to do to start getting on the path to improvement. Hope you found this helpful. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you soon.